Welcome to Encounter Grace, where we come face to face with God's work in the world for our good. Join host Jason McKnight as we explore practical issues of community, theology, and leadership in everyday life. Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Encounter Grace. My name is Ben Hendricks. This is Jason McKnight, as everybody knows. And today we're going to continue our Advent series. I wore my cardigan. Oh, nice. Christmas we feel cardigan. very Christmassy with the ornaments, with, <laughs> yeah. with the, doing it all. If you're not watching this and you're only listening, you're missing out on half the fun. <laughs> well, Jason, today, I know you're going to walk us through most of the episode today, but here, and, and I'm actually really excited about this one because I, I love when you get to teach through scripture and help us out here. But here's, here's my issue mm. that I've kind of been wrestling with. It can feel at times that amongst all the characters, the movies, the shopping, the Christmas season and experience, it feels like it's easy to forget that Jesus kind of is the reason for the season. I've heard that phrase. Like <laughs> at times, we c- it feels like we can get everything that we need just by watching the classics, right? Like White Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting like, to see which movies you name. Like the Santa Claus. <laughs> Tim Allen. And specifically, the, the great classic we all love and know, Elf. Right? <laughs> I, I can't <laughs> quote any of it. <laughs> and so for some of us who I think can get wrapped up in the season of gift giving, of banquets, or family endeavors, and pres- and all that stuff, and how, how do we take a step to getting a better and a clearer picture of really what the season is about, of understanding what we should be doing. Right, right. And so, Jason, where where do we go and how do we take kind of a better understanding of it? Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, Scripture. Okay, but fine, there's a lot of Scripture. What do we do? Where where do we go? Where's Christmas in Scripture? Well, promises. Okay, fine, but where did it all happen? And I got to tell you, one of the one of the best things in my life has been um, the recurring dropping down into the very story of Christmas, which comes in Matthew one a little bit, you know, with Joseph and the dream, and then the slaughter of the innocents. It's a little <laughs> bit tougher. <laughs> one of those them they're making the Christmas movies. But then the Luke one and two, mm-hmm. and um, I, I mean Luke one and two, which. Chapter one is something like 78 verses long. And then the Christmas part of chapter two is another 40 verses. So you're looking at 120 verses of scripture devoted wow. to the birth of Jesus. It's really rich. There's some really good stuff in here. So when I kind of prepare my heart for Christmas in the Advent season, uh, I always make sure I drop by Luke one and two, <laughs> drop by yeah. or camp out in. Hey. And it's just beautiful. It's just a lot of fun. And I love, I mean, one of the things I learned in hermeneutics was the way that some of these authors kind of bolded things was the amount of time that they spent on it, the amount of words. And I mean, 78 verses or so, right? Just in Luke 1, the narrative of the birth of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Well, up to the birth, because that starts in chapter 2. It's another 40 verses. And Luke is very serious about this. Mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll, we'll get to understand why here in a little bit. Yeah. But Jason, why don't you walk us through kind of what the what what is Luke one and two about? What are the yeah? Like what's going? Can you break that apart for us? What's the theme? I would love to. It, it would be so much fun because, um, it, like I think if I if I ever don't make it as a pastor, and, and some of you are already saying you, <laughs> you know, you don't make it. Uh, if ever I need another job and they don't want me as a lounge singer in Vegas, yeah. Then here's what I think: I would be a tour guide. 
I would be a tour guide in Kinston, in Montreal, in London, in Israel. I don't care. I'll go anywhere. I'll learn what I need to learn. <laughs> and I'll be a tour guide because you make everyone happy when you're a tour guide. Let me be a tour guide for Luke 1 and 2 today. Mm. Let me introduce you to some of the nooks and crannies, some of the history, some of the layers, some of the beauty of it. And I guarantee you, you'll want to read it and you'll read it with different eyes. Mm. And, and then it'll start to form us. Um, so... Starting at the at the top, I think you asked about like, well, what's the theme of it? Or yeah, we just have to kind of know the themes and the character. And we're yeah, not quite to the characters yet, but just what's going on in the story? Yeah. So when Luke sets out to write his gospel, he tells us at the front end. He tells us at the front end. He says, "Look, I didn't know anything, but I went and learned everything." Mm-hmm. And everybody's telling the story. I'm going to research it talk to eyewitnesses, figure stuff out, draw up a timeline, work it all out, and I'm going to lay out an account for you, most excellent Theophilus, Mm. so that you can know the certainty of what you've been taught. So already right off in the first four verses of the Gospel of Luke, he's, he's writing the whole thing so that we, or Theophilus, or we can each be Theophilus, we can know more certainly what we have been taught. Wow. Okay. So now I can step into it saying, God wants me, because the Spirit inspired Luke, God wants me to know with confidence or assurance the things about Christmas in Luke 1 and 2, and then everything else on from there. Uh, As we've already alluded to, Luke alone spends a lot of time in the Christmas story. And I think what he's doing in in the first chapter and a half of Luke is... Um, he's demonstrating without a shadow of a doubt that God is fulfilling his promises, his Old Mm -hmm. Testament promises. He's making sure that we don't miss that, that God is not doing something new. He's doing something old. He's doing something that he was always going to be doing or was always promising because, and you say, how do I know that? You look at these things, you look at all the words in there, they're filled with the Old Testament, allusions and <laughs> themes and quotes and motifs. It's just really fun. And, and, and yeah. we can even maybe talk a little bit about that. But, but basically, when you read Luke 1 and 2, you, you almost feel like you're reading 1 Samuel. Hmm. Or you feel like you're reading the Psalms or Micah or Malachi. I mean, it's really interesting. It, it just feels dripping with the, the Old wow. Testament. That's so helpful just because, I mean, and this is a shocker, like we know what miraculous story is coming. I mean the birth of Jesus by a virgin. And so to start on a place that is, like this is not a shaky foundation in which he's writing. Like this is, he checked the sources, he did all this. Yep, you're right. I'm glad he did that. And and I think think you're watching Luke um, lay out his gospel from the start of the gospel till Jesus' start of public ministry, chapter four. Hmm. All of that, those first three and a bit uh, uh, chapters, is he's answering the question, what is God doing? And right at the front, he's saying, he's answering it with what he's always been doing and been promising. (laughs) So what is God doing? Then we get Jesus is on the scene in the first, you know, about five chapters from from 4.1 to 9.51 is, who are we following? And it's all about who Jesus is. You can't believe how little teaching and how many miracles are in that part. Hmm. But at 9.51, Jesus sets his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. And from that point on, there's almost no miracles, and it's all teaching. And so who are we becoming becomes the question. What is God doing? Who are we following? 
Who are we becoming until we get to the triumphal entry? And that final week of Jesus' life is the climax where all of them find their meaning. So that's what he's doing right here is he's answering what is God doing? And that's why chapter 1 and 2, anyway, chapter 1 specifically, really feels like a lot of the Old Testament. I love it. That's so helpful. So would you say that, I mean, just answering that question is the major theme, the story arc of of Luke 1 and at least 1 and 2, right? Yeah, and answering it not in our... 21st century Western scientific answer, sure. but in a an unfolding of the mystery, yeah, which is so, so beautiful. So, what's the structure of it? What's going on? Okay, well, this this is fun. I, I love how you light up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. All right. Well, there's a few different ways you can slice and dice it. Let me give you this one. Remember Noah's Ark? I do. Yeah. He put him in there two by two. Everything in this first chapter is about twos. I mean, there's two couples. One is old and childless, with childless, one is not yet married. There's two women. One is barren, one's a virgin. There's two angel messages, you know, one to Zechariah, one to Mary. There's two questions. How can this be? Right? Zechariah says, and I'm old. How can it be? Mary says, I'm a virgin. How can it be? Hmm. <laughs> Same question. Two different questions. Yeah. Which, interestingly, two different responses. Because, hey, Zechariah, you don't believe God? you're going to be speechless for nine months. Because, you know, I don't know, but then Mary's a virgin. Of course virgin can't have children. Yeah. And so when she asks it, it's a, it's a different answer than you're going to be speechless for nine months. Mm. Anyway, two questions, two answers. It's really interesting. Two songs. Mary and Zechariah both sing a song. Zechariah's is public. Mary's is private. Mary's is all about reversals. You read it. It's all about how God, through Jesus, is doing these reversals. But Zechariah, it's all about redemption. And I guarantee you, he's doing his quiet times in Malachi. Because you look at it, it's like <laughs> chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4 of Malachi is in Zechariah's song. You do that at home, you'll love it. I'm sure he'd been, I mean, of course he would have been, because that was the last time at that point God had spoken to them. So he was just yearning for God. I mean, the promises that God had made and that he would answer, and he had. Absolutely. Two, 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 two. Two prom- I mean, you look at the promises Gabriel makes about John the Baptist and about Jesus. He will be great in the sight of the Lord of John the Baptist. You know what he says of Jesus? He will be great. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. There's no, no more qualifier. <laughs> no qualifier. <laughs> because that's who Jesus is. And what's the roles of these two boys? He's going to be the forerunner, John the Baptist is. Mm-hmm. Going to be the forerunner of God who's coming to earth, he's going to be the son of God. He's going to be the throne of his father, David. His kingdom will have no end. I mean, it's just beautiful to see all these things. And then finally, yes, two births. Very few births in Scripture. Do you know that? There's really not a lot of of births in Scripture. Every one of them means something. Every one of them is part of God's redemptive plan, is furthering salvation history. Well, here we got two births in a chapter in a bit. Now, the amazing thing is, all these twos, two by two, 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 you get to the birth of Jesus, and Luke slows right down. You know, and we get the Bethlehem, and we get the inn, and the no room, and the manger, and then the angels, and then, uh, well, before the angels, the shepherds out in the fields washing their socks by night, (laughs) or whatever it was, and then the angels, and this unbelievable message to the angels. You could do a week's worth of quiet times <laughs> just in the message of the angels. And then, they, and then the shepherds go. 
and then they go to the temple. So the structure is two by two until the birth of Jesus, and then everything mm. slows down, and it's like in slow-mo, and it's in beautiful, and these 20 verses, you know, until Mary treasures and ponders these things in her heart. Mm-hmm. And then the and the shepherds return to where they were, glorifying and praising God and telling everyone. Gosh, I mean that's life. That's incredible. Telling everyone, yeah. I, I I think I think the way that Luke interleaves the two stories of these two families and these two boys and these two births is hmm. just unbelievable. It is the most amazing literature, like from a from a craft of literature standpoint. It's it's really phenomenal. I remember us talking at some point. I, I can't remember if it was this passage or not, but how it can sometimes it, it can feel like you're reading so much into it. You're like, oh, maybe these things really aren't there. Right. But as both you and I have come to admit, I mean, I mean, this God who's come up with these stories, he's writing. Yeah. Like this is his word. He, every, none of this is by accident. Like these twos are not. It's not a mistake. No. These are these are there for a reason, and I think it's this reason. Well, and even even to the point. In chapter one, the very beginning of chapter one, like after that introduction about eyewitnesses interviews, mm. the next thing he says in the time of King Herod, and then it's all about Elizabeth, Zechariah, the temple, and the birth of John the Baptist. The beginning of chapter two, in the time of Caesar Augustus and the census, mm. and now it's the birth of the Savior of the world. Like the forerunner, John the Baptist for Israel, the Elijah who was to come for Israel. Yeah. And then the savior of the world, Herod versus Caesar. I mean, even that, the two different kings they, that Gosh. Luke uses, it just, even that he's telling us something in how he includes details at different points. He could have said Caesar Augustus nine months earlier in chapter one. Gosh. He waited until Jesus. All right, so themes, what is God doing? Structure, I mean, just yep. noticing two, the twos. Two, two. Yep. What's next? Well, you know, we've already, we've already talked about it, but don't you love all these characters? Don't you? Like, yeah. Like, honestly, you can feel like you get to know Elizabeth mm. if you just slow down and read it carefully. Think about all we learn about what Elizabeth and Zechariah are like before he sees the angel and while he sees the angel and afterwards. And, you know, you can, you can just see it all. And, uh, and even, even John the Baptist, at the end of chapter 1, the, the child's born, John the Baptist, and then, and then, and then verse 80, Luke just puts a pin in it, in the storyline. Yeah. And he says, look, this boy, that's how the Southerners would say <laughs> it, this boy grew and became strong in spirit and was in the wilderness until the days of public appearance to Israel. So he's saying, I'm going to get back to this story, but we're going to hang on because i got to slow down yeah. for the birth of Jesus. Anyway, I mean, these characters, <clears throat> Mary and Joseph, poor old Joseph doesn't get a word. <laughs> but he's pretty important. Yep. He's pretty important. Uh, Gabriel, <laughs> not a lot of places in Scripture you have named angels. Mm. Daniel here, maybe one or two other places, but Gabriel, and he comes again and again, and then I don't know if he gets the night off or if he goes to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem, if he's part of that group. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> he has the night off that night, you know, uh, soaking his feet or his wings. I don't know what they do. <laughs> I'm just saying. But Gabriel all through chapter 1, and then all the angels... And then those shepherds, and we haven't even talked about it yet, but like eight days after Jesus is born, they take him to the temple, and there's Simeon, this old guy waiting for the consolation of Israel. What a title of Jesus, Mm. the consolation of Israel. 
And then Anna, this prophetess who's, who's been widowed all these decades and is just there waiting. I mean, why does God include these two? Hmm. How many other Simeons and Annas are there yeah. in that day? Like, you yeah. just wonder. I can't wait to meet them all in heaven one day. And I was the just, characters here is just amazing. And I always love that. I mean, in stories where like this, where there's so many names, I mean, it's, it's another anchor just to the truth of what, of like these, these stories are not made up. I mean, yeah. If you're making up names, yeah, you're gonna yeah. get found out. Yeah, that's right. Because he's looking at eyewitnesses. And this is so filled with it because he's yeah. with eye and yeah, interviewing eyewitnesses. Okay, so structure, or sorry, uh, uh, themes yeah. and story arc structure, uh, the characters. Mm -hmm. What else? I mean, the other thing you can do as you're reading it is, and by the way, like I remember, I remember <laughs> the first time Logos Bible software was out there. We're talking in the '90s. And you could print up the Bible. <laughs> and I printed up Luke 1 and 2 onto 8.5 by 11 pages and kind of with lots of space on either side. So, And, and there it was on like five or six pages in front of me. And I, I remember going into my office. I worked at Hockey Ministries. And I remember going to my office before work, coffee, muffin, sitting there, putting music on Stephen Curtis Chapman. Yeah. <laughs> that old Christmas <laughs> one. Actually, Kent was listening to it today. It's a great one. And I just remember that. And and just marinating mm -hmm. in this. And, and, and that's all. I just like, maybe it was about maybe one or two weeks, you know, in December. And just every morning for 15 or 20 minutes or half an hour, just reading this part or this part again or then the next part. And what themes and what things and what words and what repetitions and who are these people and getting to be friends with them. And mm. from that, like, that's what I did to prepare for Christmas that year, you know, in my mid-20s. Yeah. And it was just a beautiful thing that made Luke 1 and 2 just a friend to me. And that's when I noticed all these words. So words we were talking yeah. about. Words. Like how much joy there is in this passage. And, and, and I just circled it all with a red pen or something. And then how much fear... But actually, every time it was fear not, hmm. the angels, fear not, fear not. And then even Zechariah sings, we can serve him without fear. Like even there, fear not. Like when Jesus comes, when God is fulfilling his promises, fear is dispelled. Hmm. And how much mercy language is in here. And how many times the Holy Spirit is in here. Wait a minute, the Holy Spirit doesn't come until Pentecost. <laughs> oh, Really? Hmm. figure that one out. Let God work on, on you with that one. You know, I mean, it's just so great. And David, because it's the throne of his father. I mean, different words over and over and over again, favor hmm. and grace. I just think it's, I just think it's wonderful to see how God does like variations on a theme. Yeah. You know, or, um, or just, just kind of just circles around something and, and lets it flower. We're so rushed. We run right by and, you know, honestly, we think, well, I, I'm, supposed to, I'm supposed to read the Bible every day and let me just quick open it up and I should have woken up five minutes earlier. And, you know, but man, when you just let it linger, it's like when, I, when my mom would make spaghetti, she'd start the sauce before we got home from school so that by the time we get home from school, you know, in high school and it's 4, 4.30, 5 o'clock, the whole house smells like that spaghetti sauce. It's yeah. so good. It's I, just so good. And that's what I've been thinking, just as we've been discussing and talking about what Advent really is and what the hope and the purpose of it is. And I think for a lot of us, I mean, as people who take God's word seriously, we can at times get a little in the like malaise and the dullness at mm -hmm. times, like where, where scripture can feel 
like, oh, okay, it's this story again. Mm-hmm. And this just shouldn't be one of those stories, especially when, I mean, maybe we're only touching it once a year. Right. But that, like, what a season, the Advent season, the Christmas season, to just focus right on this. And so I think for many of us, we are looking for something to help make this season special. Maybe for some of us who are coming out of dry spells, mm-hmm. which I, I was in not too long ago, mm-hmm. who, who were just like, who need some life breathed back in. And what a great thing to have Luke 1 and 2. I mean, to talk the themes, the story arc, the structure, the incredible characters, and those words. Yeah. Like, those are the words that give life, man. Like, joy. Mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. need more time, more stories where it says, don't, like, fear not because yeah. the Lord's yeah. near. Yeah. And here's yeah. mercy. And so here's the question that probably no one's asking, but uh, mm-hmm. maybe there's someone. What's so great about Luke 1 and 2 then? <laughs> In addition like, to everything we... Why, yeah. why do we need to spend the time here? This Christmas season. So in addition to preparing, in addition to letting, you know, let every heart prepare room, it, when you stop to think about it, if Luke is interviewing eyewitnesses and he's writing his gospel because he wasn't there. Yeah. And well, who's he interviewing for, for the events of chapter one and the events of chapter two? Because Jesus wasn't alive until chapter two, verse you yeah. know, nine or something, eight. Who's he interviewing? Well, Elizabeth and Mary, uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they're dead. John the Baptist beheaded. Yep. Gabriel's back in heaven. <laughs> He's talking to Mary. I mean, Joseph, we think, is dead because he doesn't show up at all in Jesus' adult ministry. But Mary is there. Mary's even at the cross. Mary's around. Tradition has Mary even moving to Ephesus with John the Apostle, who takes her into his home, and he becomes leader of the church in Ephesus. Luke is interviewing Mary, it seems to me. I, I don't yeah, think yeah, I'm yeah. on a limb. And so then you reread it and you see a mom's heart mm-hmm. and you see the beauty here of, of what she, you know, when she went and talked with Elizabeth and shared and they shared together and then the pondering, treasuring up and pondering these things in her heart. I mean, what's so great about Luke 1 and 2 is this is Mary's story. It's like we're reading her journal and then some. Yeah, That's beautiful. I think what else is so great about it is it's a story. We, we talked about that. It's got characters. It's got, uh, uh, it's so familiar to us because we kind of know the story. And one of the things about the Bible is it's daunting to people if they don't know it. Mm-hmm. And so here's, I think, a ready-made way for God to invite us into the story he's telling, the whole Bible, by a doorway that's pretty familiar to us. Because you're going to come up with, uh, come across people you know, stories you've heard, and then you can slow down in them and begin to see some of the beauty and the joy and the excitement of it. It's layered and profound. Like all of Scripture is inspired by God and without error. Absolutely, unbelievably so. But the mildew restrictions in Leviticus <laughs> are just not the same as Luke 1 and 2. I'm just telling you. you know. And, and thanks be to God, he's got these things here for us. And it's just rich and it's multi-layered. The other thing uh, that is so great about these 120 verses, is it is the highest of the high Christology. Mm-hmm. I mean, we in, in biblical studies, and as when we were in seminary, but everyone needs to know this, is there's there are people out there reading the Bible with what's called a low Christology, meaning Jesus didn't think he was God. Nobody in his day thought he was God. And only later church leaders wanting to make their church better decided to make him God. Yeah. 
That's a low Christology. And so they, so they, these scholars today, they read scripture from that point of view. I don't think you can read Luke, read Luke yeah. 1 and 2 <laughs> and not see a high Christology. <laughs> he will yeah. reign forever on the throne of his father, David. Mary clearly knows, or whoever wrote this, of course, is Mary, that he is something special and he is eternal and he's the son of God. You're right. It's not subtle. It's not subtle. And you have to actually do cartwheels to not see it, which yeah. is, you know, why you have to be very careful choosing a seminary or choosing a pastor to listen to or a reader, or an author to read. But that's for another podcast. Yeah, acrobatic theology? Yeah. There's something there, right? <laughs> All right. Two more quick things on what's so great about it. Yeah. You see God's humility everywhere. I mean, we don't have mangers today because we're city folk, <laughs> country folk out there, city folk. We, we, you know, there, there's a little bit of mangers, but it's, it's a lot different. Yeah. But you know what? Everybody has a dog or a cat. Would you lay your new, would you lay your newborn Harper in your dog food bowl in Bear's Bowl? Oh, no. You wouldn't. No, he'd probably try to climb up to her. But yeah. I'm just saying, like, that's where God allows his son to be laid. Hmm. Like, this is humility, unbelievably so. And I, but, and this is, I'm just seeing this with fresh eyes. Like, you know, babies just cannot take care of themselves. And there you have the king of kings. yep. Just laying there, helpless in so many ways. And mm-hmm. I don't just in the last season, I've been thinking about that a lot as we've gone into the, like moving into the Advent season. I'm just, yeah. I don't, yeah. Humility is uh, the vulnerability, the humility of Jesus in the incarnation of God, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there's, there's uh, something unbelievable there. The last thing why it's so great, what I would love to just, is I just love these shepherds. I love <laughs> that on the night Jesus came and was born and came and took his first breath in this world that he created. I love that God said, well, who can I share this with? Hmm. And he picked anonymous shepherds at the lowest end of the social standing, and they were smelly. And he picked them. We don't know their names, but he picked them. And he gave them the greatest concert the world's ever seen. Like, seriously, nobody's ever heard a concert like that. Yeah. But the shepherds did. How many were there? Eight, ten, five? Who knows? It was enough for God. Hmm. The shepherds just show me that you and I matter. We don't have to be the rich or the best or the powerful or whatever. We're just shepherds. Wait, I have to be a shepherd? <laughs> Thanks be to God. Oh, amen. <laughs> so, yeah. Ben, you already are a shepherd. Yeah. I hate to tell you. <laughs> Jason, thank you so much just for walking us through Luke 1 and 2. I have a specific place in my heart for Luke 1 and 2, but I mean, I think you just breathed so much life into this mm-hmm. and shed so much light on things that I, I mean, I've never seen before. I mean, all the way from just certain themes of what is God doing to a structure of two of every, how did I miss that? Uh, to just the words that breathe life, like joy and fear not and mercy, things that I think we all need to remind ourselves and just never forget. I mean, if God's in here, what's there to fear? That's right. And so, friends, as uh, we move into the Advent season, jump into Luke 1 and 2, make it your own, camp out there, and just see what treasures uh, the Lord brings about. And we thank you, and we'll see you next for the next episode. See ya. This is a ministry of Grace Fellowship Church in Kinston, North Carolina. Visit gracekinston.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.